Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. And welcome in yet again, late kick on the air. It is now Thursday night. It is July 16th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Is it jam-packed? We don't do shows that aren't jam-packed. So yes, it is among the things that we will discuss this evening. We are going to continue that little mood tracker series that you guys have really latched onto. Comments have been out of this world plentiful and mostly kind. And we're going to do the mood tracker for the ACC tonight. We're also going to talk about a little issue concerning eligibility and particularly a high-profile quarterback transferring to Georgia, getting that eligibility. And with that, we will revisit what we were told from some, albeit just a few, but some of our Georgia fans when the news about JT Daniels transferring first went down. You guys remember that. It was only about a month or two ago. Seems like a year. I don't know how long it was ago. Fairly recently. So we're going to discuss that. The most hostile environments that we've ever witnessed in person. This was a question that was submitted for the Late Kick Extra podcast, and I thought, oh, this has got to get some airtime on Late Kick Live. So we're going to do that. And also, I think I took actually two questions from the Late Kick Extra batch of questions, and there was another one about comparing some programs, and it was namely Texas and Michigan. Where do you think they stand right now? Which would you invest in? Which would you rather believe in or be a fan of over the next three to five years? We're going to do all that. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, which you're watching right now. And if you're merely listening, you're doing it via podcast and likely have already subscribed. If you haven't, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you so much. We have had those pouring in. So from us to you, sincerely, thank you. So let's get it started tonight, and let's begin with our ACC mood tracker. We've done this for the SEC, we've done it for the Big Ten, so now we're gonna do it for the ACC. Eventually, we're trying to work our way across the entire country, and all we're doing, to give you a very brief update on the concept, all we're doing is we're cutting off the fringe 10% on either side, the pessimists and the eternal optimists, and we're taking the middle 80%, and we're finding out what the majority of these fan bases are thinking and feeling. What mood are they in about their respective programs? And with that in mind, let's go. And let's start where else in the ACC. We'll start at the top with Clemson. This one, it's kind of like when we did Ohio State the other day. This one's not really all that difficult. They're in king of the world mode. That's where they are. Uh, they are by 10 miles, the class of their conference. They, much like I described Ohio State as being, view themselves as being on an entirely different train. They've already, like I said, gotten to the station. They've departed one train. You know, that was the ACC train. And they've gotten themselves on the national train. And yeah, they play all of you every year, but really they don't view themselves as being among you. For lack of a better term, they almost think of themselves as an independent. And I can understand why. If you're honest with yourself, you can understand why. There's been very little competition 
in conference for them. But there has been competition. They just got it from Ohio State or they've got it from Alabama. That's where the competition comes from. When we're talking about Clemson versus fill in the blank on the recruiting trail, that's where the challengers in all likelihood are coming from. You can throw Georgia in there, LSU in there. And so that's where Clemson fans view themselves right now. And I, the only thing I'm thinking about with them is I remember when we were out in Santa Clara for the title game they played against Alabama a couple of years ago. It'll be three years ago this coming year. And that was when Lawrence was a true freshman. And, you know, we're standing on the field there, and it's a snoozer in the second half for everyone but Clemson fans, obviously. But, you know, it's a blowout game, and a true freshman is just shredded Nick Saban's defense. And the talk is obviously, I mean, how many more championships can he win? They have him two more years. And so last year they were a good team, but they got beat in the national championship game. So this is his third year, final year of eligibility. Well, final year he will be playing college football in 99% likelihood. So you just kind of wonder, like if they don't win a national championship this year, you look back and you certainly wouldn't call it a failed career by any stretch, but you'll look back kind of like you did with Tua at Alabama. He comes off the bench, wins a title his freshman year, they didn't win a national championship again under him. Just that's the way the sport works. So with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, what if the only title they won with him was when he was a true freshman? It's not crazy. It's not crazy to suggest. Just a little something to think about there. But until further notice, king of the world. That is the mood for Clemson fans. How about Florida State? Florida State, the mood there is just hoping and praying that this is the right fit. This, of course, being Mike Norvell. There, I don't think there's a lot of questioning about whether Norvell knows what he's doing. I don't know if there's a lot of questioning his football acumen. No one inside the game or even around that program questions his offense. And this is an offense that has been exceptional. If you watched him at Memphis at leveraging talent at the running back position, the wide receiver position. So all of that sounds great. Like you plug that into Florida State, it sounds like a perfect fit. I don't think that's what Florida State fans are worried about. Florida State fans are hoping and praying that he is a cultural fit, that the mentality of the locker room jives and synergizes with who he is and who his staff is. And if they do, you know, if he, if he is a fit there, which remains to be seen because he's brand new, but if he is a fit there and if that culture starts to reflect his mentality and that's what you hope for, that synergy, you hope for that, then all systems go in Tallahassee. But it's just, it's a wait and see and you know, we know we have talent this year. We don't necessarily know what to expect because while we have that talent, we've got an entirely new staff coming in. They lose spring. So whether 2020 ends up being a, a proper sample size for what we can expect in the future from Norvell and FSU, I don't know that really that answer either. But I do know that if he is that fit, and Florida State fans thinking the same way, if he is that fit, then finally... We don't wonder anymore whether we're doing it right Monday through Friday. We don't wonder if our schemes match up. We don't wonder if our culture and if our philosophies match up. None of that's a question anymore. And now it's just a matter of building the roster. So once you get all that stuff out of the way, then there's certainly hope for the future because you've checked a lot of the preliminary boxes you need to check. Let's head down to Coral Gables. How about Miami? Miami, I wrote down... Our fault and our time. Our fault meaning a lot of the wounds of the program have been self-inflicted. Not talking necessarily about fans, but I'm talking about whether it be hiring the wrong folks, making the wrong decisions. What You can go down the list of what 
stunts a program's growth. But whatever has happened in the past, let's just own it, and then let's also say it's our time. There were some bold moves made after the first year of Manny Diaz. He is entering his second year here as head coach, and yet there have already been some moves made. He brings in Rhett Lashley as his new offensive coordinator, and that's got a lot of people excited down there. And for that matter, a lot of people are still excited about Manny Diaz. I remember this time last year talking about what opportunity he had, even as a, a brand new coach. I mean, I thought if they, even if they had a good showing against Florida in week zero in that neutral site game against Florida last year, their schedule set up very well for them to make some noise even in year one. Ended up not happening. Well, now we're in year two. The change was made at offensive coordinator, and the other glaring weakness they had last year was week to week, you had no clue what was happening at the quarterback position. So now you've got a, a high-profile transfer in there by the name of Derek King, and if we've answered offensive coordinator and if we've answered quarterback, then let's see how things play out this year. We're going to roll some dice. Let's see how it plays out this year. If we struck gold with either one of these moves or, you know, perfect case, both of these moves, then we'll see Miami football look like something different. And really, I wrote in all caps, give South Florida kids a reason to believe. They want to stay home. Kids in Homestead, Florida don't really necessarily grow up wanting to go play in Clemson or Columbus or Tuscaloosa. But if you're not giving them a reason to stay home, they got to make a business decision. Give them a reason. You don't, have to, you don't have to overwhelm them. Just be close. Get in the same ballpark. Offer the same opportunities that the big boys can offer. That's where we got to get if we're Miami. So the mood right now, our fault in the past, our time in the future. Let's go to North Carolina. North Carolina is in kick it in mode. That's the mood. Kick it in. And basically, if I'm sitting around Let's just be honest amongst ourselves for a second. If I'm sitting around and I'm a North Carolina alum, if I'm just a fan, I'm, I'm a supporter of the program, I'm looking around and I'm saying, judging by the history of this sport, Miami should be dominating, Florida State should be dominating, Clemson should be pretty darn good. Instead, what we have here, Virginia Tech should be at or near the top of the conference every year, but instead what we have here is we have a situation where Clemson is fulfilling their end of the bargain, but yet no one else is. And these people have messed around and they've let us get the right head coach in here and they've let us get a dynamic and dynamite coaching staff in here and now we're killing it in recruiting and we've got quarterback figured out in the present with Howell and we got quarterback figured out hopefully in the future with Drake May. And so, so many of these dominoes are falling. So many of these tumblers are falling into place that let's kick it in. If no one else is going to do it, we'll be the ones to challenge Clemson. Hey, by the way, we almost beat them last year. So if no one else is going to kick it in, let's kick it in ourselves. And lastly, with Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech fans have to be sitting around thinking, why not us? Why aren't we the ones? Why aren't we the ones that are in full-out ascension mode like North Carolina is right now? What in the world do we lack? Well, I'll tell you most notably what I have observed them lack and what I think most Hokie fans would agree with is the identity on offense that you hoped you'd have at this point under Justin Fuente don't necessarily know that they possess that. And now you compound matters with looking at the personnel defensively and making a change at DC, but looking at the personnel defensively and wondering, do we have the roster right now to field a unit that plays the kind of football on that side that we have grown accustomed to seeing 
over the last couple of decades? That's a big question mark. Cohesion, to me, with that program has been a big question mark just because of the turnstiles not stopping. You got you have guys coming in, guys leaving, coming in, leaving. So you want some cohesion and you want a discernible identity enough to where if I live in Atlanta or Dallas or LA or Seattle or Minneapolis and I'm a college football fan and you say Virginia Tech football, first thing that comes to mind, something should come to mind. Right now all that comes to mind is Inter Sandman and Beamer Ball. And Frank Beamer hasn't been the head coach there in quite a while. So what does that tell you? What that tells you is nationally, the places you have to recruit, to be frank, there aren't really many people who have a clear vision of what Virginia Tech is. That's got to change. Why not them? Why not us being the mood there? I can't answer that question for you. I know at the moment it's not. And as we all hope, because I hope for as much competition in any conference as possible, it changes in the future. So that is your ACC mood tracker for the 2020 football season. Now, we had a good question when I was doing the Late Kick Extra podcast. And for those unfamiliar, the Late Kick Extra podcast is the spillover. It's the reservoir. It's where all of your questions go that we can't get to on the actual show. And we release it every Wednesday. Tani does a great job with that and gets it out uh, pretty quickly because I do that thing late Tuesday night. And it's really fun, really free-flowing. But sometimes I'll come across questions like this one. And I'll say, I could answer that on the podcast, but why don't I just take that over to our next show? And so Chris and Rod both submitted a version of the same question. And the question was essentially, what are either the best or the most hostile environments, college football environments, that you have ever personally witnessed? Caveat, really the one and only caveat here, I haven't been to every stadium. I haven't covered games in every stadium. So there are going to be some venues. For example, Penn State Whiteout. Never been able to witness it. Never been able to experience it. I can definitively tell you, had I experienced it, that would, well, it would be on the list. As far as I can tell on TV, looks like it would be on the list. But let me tell you, just from what I personally have either been in the crowd or on the field to witness, by a significant margin, Alabama going to LSU is the craziest scene that I've experienced in college football. And I've done it several times now. I've been down there several times. It's like you have walked onto a different planet. The passion, the intensity, which doesn't border on rabid, it well exceeds what you would call rabid. People just frothing at the mouth. The palpable energy of hatred and venom. It's really a beautiful thing if they're not directing it at you. But let me tell you what stands out the most. I remember the first time that I went down there for a Bama LSU game. It was a night game. And I will never forget walking from the media parking lot just through the tailgates and walking into the stadium. I had a young lady with me at the time who worked at the station. And there was nothing that happened to us. But that's the whole point. No one needed to do anything. It just felt so unsafe. This is certainly a compliment. I've said this many times. LSU folks who watch the show, they've heard me say this before. It made you feel so uneasy and we were in neutral colors. We were wearing station polos. So we were in no real danger, but you were, you were so uncomfortable. I did not feel safe, really, and it wasn't me. I was worried about her. You understand how it is. But you didn't really feel safe until you got through the media gate and into that empty stadium. So I'm thinking to myself, if that's what I felt like, and none of these people care about me, if that's what I felt like, what do rival fans feel like? What does the rival team feel like? And I was there when Bama's buses pulled in, rocking back and forth. 
Oh, some of you, some of you need to atone for some of the things I heard come out of your mouth that day, by the way. But oh my goodness, when they took the field for the first time defensively, and you're standing at field level, and you hear that place get full throat loud for the first time, it's like standing, I can imagine it's like standing on a tarmac at Hartsfield International Airport where jets are all around you, but you don't get to wear those earmuffs that the guys who drive the little buggies around get to wear. I was standing next to someone. I could have yelled as loud as I wanted to at that person. That's all they would have seen. Uh, that sounded like great radio or a podcast for those of you listening to the audio version. So Alabama at LSU, hostility like you would not believe. I'll tell you another place, probably underrated from a national perspective, they get their proper credit regionally, and that's Auburn. And I want to talk specifically about Georgia at Auburn, let's say 2017. But you could pick a number of games. You could pick the Iron Bowl from this same year that happened two weeks later. But I was at both of those games. This is, I don't know how to describe it to you. A lot of people down here haven't figured it out. But everyone will swear to you, there's something that happens, not every year, but there's something that happens around Auburn football in these certain years, usually it's the odd number years where Georgia and Bama both have to go in there. If they start to build some kind of momentum, 2013 is a good example, 2017 was a great example. If they start to build some kind of momentum, it almost seems like there's this sort of voodoo. Can't describe it any other way, but here's the bad side. When Auburn fans realize it, they latch onto it. 2013, you remember how that season went. 2013, you have the tip pass, the prayer at Jordan Hare, and then a couple weeks later, the kick six. Those things are multi-generational occurrences that happened within the same three-week spam, okay? And then you fast forward to 2017. Number one, Georgia comes in there, blowout. Number one, Alabama comes in there, taken down. This a month after everyone wanted Malzahn fired. And there's this feeling like I've never experienced in any other venue, including LSU. Like I told you, I was there for Alabama at LSU. It's the most hostile place I've ever witnessed, but Alabama won the game. Alabama's won every game that I've attended down there. These teams are coming into Jordan-Hare Stadium, and I swear to you, you can't quantify it. It just feels like the actual venue has an effect on the final score. Don't know what that means. Don't know how to describe it. It's like if you ever think that you saw a ghost and you try and explain it to people like me who don't believe in ghosts. How do you explain it? You know what you believe. You know what you think you saw. Just like I think I know a lot of things I've witnessed happen at Jordan-Hare Stadium, like in 2017 or 2013 against Georgia, against Alabama. I don't think those things would happen if they played those games in a sandlot. But yet, they don't play them in a sandlot. They played them there. And it's just crazy, crazy stuff. And it's, you look to your left and look to your right, and like everyone's just kind of shaking their head and smiling. And it's like this understood joke of, that's, it's, there it goes again, JHS, there it goes again. Now, let me give you one from very recent history. And this is last year. Same two teams we talked about a second ago. Let's just change the venue. LSU at Alabama. There's a funny thing about Alabama, too, uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium. Bryant-Denny Stadium has a little bit different reputation. You think about Bryant-Denny Stadium, if you've been there in the last maybe five, four or five years, and you've been to these other venues like I have, you probably think, oh, that place, it's not quite as loud, it's not quite as uh, intimidating as some of these other venues, and most of the time you're right. It's not because it's not as big, they got 100,000 in there, it's not because those folks aren't as passionate, but they keep winning. 
and they've been winning for a long time. And really, you don't get to hear a stadium truly at full throat unless they're angry or unless they're threatened. So it stands to reason Alabama home games do not really include a stadium full of folks who feel threatened very often, with the exception of last year. LSU at Alabama, they felt threatened. Whether they wanted to admit it or not, they felt threatened even going into the game. So last year, we were on the field for this one too, last year, Bryant-Denny Stadium sounded about as intense and had about as loud a sustained roar for four quarters as I've heard up there in a long time. They've had some games against Tennessee uh, that have been kind of weird because they've been heavily favored, but they've had some games against Tennessee that rivaled it. But this was a true big game atmosphere. And um, boy, I mean, even though they were down, that was the other weird thing. They were down pretty much the entire game. Well, the entire game. Uh, That was an incredible, incredible atmosphere. Think about this. I had a buddy that was able to go to the game with me, and that was the first one he had ever been to up there, which is really funny because, I mean, I can't tell you how many I've been to up there at all these venues, really. I'm very fortunate to be able to say that. But, I mean, that being your first impression of any place, that place or any place, he still talks about it to this day for that reason and some other reasons that I can't talk about. Statute of limitations on the second part there. And the other one, Colin, I don't even know if I told you this one, but the other one was Clemson at FSU. Just run through this one real quick. This was 2016. It's the only time I've ever been able to go to Dope Campbell Stadium. This was when Deshaun Watson was a, they were on their way to winning the national championship that year. And uh, there were a lot of folks who were questioning them that year of, you know, we, we see them, but we think they may be a paper tiger. They haven't been tested on the road yet. And so they went on the road, very competitive game. I think it was a field goal final. But that's the time that I've been able to go to a Florida State game and really see that place as close to vintage Dope Campbell Stadium as I would have ever been able to experience. And they do a great job at giving zero comfort factor to the road team which is common in college football, but it just, uh, there's, there aren't a lot of frills, there aren't a lot of bells and whistles. It's not, like I've said before, it's not this sparkling, immaculate, brand new facility. It's a place that's got a little age on it, and it's not all that easy to get into. And you know, the corridors are very narrow, especially for the visiting team. That's great, I love that, because that is part of what true home field advantage is. So those, to me, are the most hostile environments I've been in. Now. I don't do these calls to action all the time, but on this particular video, or if you're watching the entire show, I'll be very interested to look in the comment section because a lot of you have been to a lot of different places and I wanna know some of the most hostile environments you remember, give me the stadium, give me the game, and then I'll try and see if I remember how it went. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like 
feels like, or looks like, the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. JT Daniels is eligible. What do you know? JT Daniels announces he's transferring from Southern Cal, transfers to Georgia. A couple of months later, thereabouts, he is ruled eligible. And so this broke uh, earlier in the week. So let's just kind of unfold this for a second because several of you have had several different takeaways and I understand all of them. There were some of you who looked at this headline and said, how in the world did he get eligibility when so-and-so is still waiting? My answer is, I have no idea. Nor in all likelihood do the people responsible for granting the eligibility. You remember that episode of South Park where they just had the idea manatees? And there's just this tank full of manatees and you know they pushed a the little ball up and like that's what they went with. I think they have an eligibility manatee tank in Indianapolis with the powers that be who decide these sorts of things. And I think that there was just a friendly manatee that pushed JT Daniels' ball up to the top of the tank. And so they opened it up, voila, you're eligible. At least that's what I've been told off the record. So you have that takeaway. And then you have the, okay, well, at this point, shouldn't all transfers be allowed to happen? This is what Bud Elliott and I were talking about earlier this week. And I told him, he said, what's your take on that? And I said, hypocritical. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, on one hand, I understand what the point here is. If these aren't employees, and if these are just student athletes, then they should be free to move about the country any way that they see fit. At the same time, I don't like messing with the fabric of college football. So how do I square those? Well, it's easy. I don't. It's just a hypocritical viewpoint I have. We all have hypocrisy somewhere in our lives. That's where mine is. So I don't, I don't make a big fuss about this stuff one way or the other. That's my point. So Daniels or Newman? JT Daniels now eligible. We got Jamie Newman, who was thought to be entrenched as the starter. I saw a lot of you flip your opinion on this. I didn't. Jamie Newman's still the dude I'm riding with. Uh, he's still the horse I'm going to hook my card up to. I saw some odds put out. And I mean, they were very competitive if you want to side with either one of them. I saw a lot of... A lot of juice behind JT Daniels. Here's what I can gather from the Georgia side of things. I have not heard anyone tell me that JT Daniels possesses all the intangibles necessary to be the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia over Jamie Newman. I haven't had anyone tell me that. That doesn't make it untrue. I just haven't heard it. I have heard several reputable people around Georgia talk about the leadership and intangible qualities of Jamie Newman. That's what sticks in my mind. Like, I don't think he lacks for talent. I know a lot of people DM me and whatnot and email me and say, you need to go watch his Wake Forest film. That's the point, guys. It's the Wake Forest film. So I also know a lot of folks who grade the position for a living who would tell you Jamie Newman is one of the most underrated next-level talents that you'll have in college football this year. There are folks who would tell you if he went out for the draft last year, a number of franchises could have talked themselves into taking him early second round. 
You can have people tell you that who do it for a living, who grade the quarterback position for a living. So at the very least, we're not dealing with just a random tomato can with arms and legs. This is a very good quarterback, and you gotta be better than very good in order to overtake him. I personally don't think that's gonna happen. However, what I wanted to do is take you back just a second to the reaction that we talked about on Late Kick at the time of his transfer. When it was Daniels to Georgia, we had some Georgia fans that actually had the following take. Oh, I don't know if this is a smart move by Kirby Smart, pun intended. I don't know that this is the right way. What message does this send to Jamie Newman? Well, let me be clear. As I was that night, the message to Jamie Newman is, we're trying to put people on this roster capable of taking your job, which isn't your job yet because you haven't played a snap for us. But even if you are the uh, perceived starting quarterback, it's no different than we treat outside linebacker or safety. We're trying to recruit over you the second you get here. That's not unique to Georgia. They do it at Bama. They do it at Clemson. They do it at Oklahoma. That's, co that's competition. That's stacking a roster as deep as you possibly can. It is also why you will never hear me say quarterback controversy on this show. It is not controversial to have multiple talented options at the quarterback position. The only controversy is when you don't have any. And that's not, the, that's not the situation at Georgia right now. Some places out there this year are going to choose between a bunch of average to below average options. At Georgia, you just gave yourself the opportunity to choose between at least two very good to elite options, potentially. You got another five-star in the pipeline coming in in Brock Vandegrift, Carson Beck's on campus right now, and that leads me to the final question that I've been asked by my Georgia buddies. <clears throat> Here's the quote, Colin. I had a buddy today text me and say, okay, but what if Brock Vandegrift or Carson Beck decide to transfer? What if they do? Uh, let me go ahead and spoil the ending for you. Not all these quarterbacks are going to remain on Georgia's roster. Some of them are going to transfer. I'm not telling you it's a possibility. I'm telling you it is an inevitability. And so what you do to that is you either think about it and say, oh my goodness, we're screwed. Our quarterbacks are transferring. Or you can use a bit of common sense and think to yourself, well, if X is recruited or if, if player X is transferring or if player Y is transferring, it probably means player Z beat him out and we have got a solid entrenched starter at quarterback and probably an entrenched solid two deep and they're looking for greener pastures. And what are we gonna do with that? We're gonna just recruit like we always have and we're gonna try and fill their spots and continue to fill the spots that are filled by guys who take their spots. That's how this works. Uh, the other concern that I, I don't know why it's a concern, but the other concern that I had that I'm gonna address more Sunday night was Another one of my Georgia buddies, believe it or not, it's all the same. Per it's not all the same person. Another one of my Georgia buddies said, "Remember Justin Fields?" I said, "Yeah, I remember." And what about him? He said, "Well, you remember how that went? We 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 started the wrong guy and we paid the price." As you can tell, that's why I'm pushing that to Sunday night. Having said that, let me just uh, whet the appetite a little bit for Sunday night. Even if you did make the wrong decision. Even if, by you, I mean Kirby. Even if Kirby Smart did choose the wrong starter, even if he did let the right guy get away, do you let one bad decision uh, it just impair your decision-making for the rest of eternity? Is that what you're supposed to do? Are you supposed to say, okay, we've got the opportunity to have two good quarterbacks, but last time we had two good ones, I chose the wrong one. So instead of getting as many options as possible on this roster, let's just go with one and see what happens. No, no. You run your program that way, you're going to be sitting in Section 328 paying for a ticket.
in the not-too-distant future. Really, really good, uh, really good stuff we got coming up Sunday night, though. So before we wrap it up, I wanted to get to Kyle's question. And this was another one that we had in the Late Kick inbox. He said, if you had to choose today which program's future you're more optimistic about, which would it be, Texas or Michigan? I lean slightly Texas, ever so slightly, and I could probably make a very solid argument for both sides here. So I'd love to wait a year, Kyle. That's really my answer. I'd love to be able to wait a year, but that's not how you phrase the question. So with Michigan, if I were to make the counterpoint, if I were to go with the Michigan side, I feel things are moving in the right direction. I could easily convince myself that Jim Harbaugh has already made the right move. We've spoken about it many times on this show. Josh Gaddis being offensive coordinator, Offense started to light it up a little bit second half of last year. Got J.J. McCarthy in the pipeline as a future five-star quarterback. But that's 2021. That's when he gets here. So until then, what are we looking at? With Texas, there are several pivot points that we're looking at. We're we're looking at Chris Ash coming in as D.C. We're looking at Yurcich coming in as O.C. But we didn't have a spring. We had no time for installs. To what degree we were going to install new concepts, I don't know. But... Having said that, you could see very easily why either Texas or Michigan, either one, either way I go, I'd really love to wait this thing through until 2021. Strictly because of geography, if I'm close in comparing programs, strictly because of geography, I'll choose the one that's closer to the most talent. Texas doesn't have to leave home to recruit talent. Michigan has to leave home to recruit a lot of talent. There's more, like I said when I was making the Texas point, they're just more potential flash points. What I mean by that is, if Chris Ash ends up becoming the best defensive coordinator in college football, like that's a really big deal. That could be what precipitates several double-digit win seasons for Texas. If Yursich, if the offensive changes that they've made end up precipitating a chain of events wherein they become a top five or top 10 offense, if they end up mirroring in a lot of ways what Oklahoma's doing in the Big 12, well then all of a sudden that could be the impetus for them going on an extended run of success in double-digit win seasons. With Michigan, it feels a lot like it's Gaddis or bust. Hey, that's fine if it pays off. But if it doesn't pay off, are we really going to hit the proverbial reset button up there again? So I would just rather invest, at least invest my attention, if I have to toss it one way or the other, invest in the Texas side. Because at least with the Texas side, there were more chances taken recently, and I could see one go right. But as you can tell, I'm not very convicted on that answer, so... Kyle, see me again this time a year from now. Really good show tonight. If you haven't already, again, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. We will be back here at same time Sunday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. So for Director Colin, for Aaron, for Tani, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great night. Have a great rest of your week, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 